Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. I'm your host with the mostest. My name is Rocky. Cody's name is Cody. What are we talking about today, Cody? Uh, we are talking about, uh, depending on where you get your information, either Tammy and the T-Rex or Tanny and the T-Rex. Uh-huh. Tanny and the Teenage T-Rex. Tanny and the t- uh-huh. Yes, thank you. Tanny and the Teenage T-Rex. Um, directed by Stuart Raffle, who made Mac and Me. Um, That's right. Uh, 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 what year did this movie come out? This was 97, I want to say. 93. Am I wrong? 93. On the back of the DVD box, it says 93. Oh, it was it was 94, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, did, I did almost no research before this. I'm very prepared. <laughs> I did a lot of research, and I'm also not prepared. Um, so that is... Uh, I'm very excited to talk to you about... Tammy and the T-Rex, which is, in fact, the the name of the film yeah. and always has been. And we'll get into why it says it's something else. <laughs> but um, we do have a segment that we do up top here. Dun, 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 what's pulping? Where we go over um, whatever, whatever pop culture news I either have takes on or people aren't talking about that much or is related to something that we've talked about on the show before. And... Um, there are a couple things this week. Uh, first of all, in the in the dead of night last night, uh, Kanye suddenly dropped a deluxe version of uh, the album Donda, which we did cover on the show. And there, there, there are a few differences. Um, the sequence of the album is completely different on the deluxe version, and the. <laughs> and the sequence on the deluxe version is really bad. Oh, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> like I don't know if it was because Kanye does like change you know the order of things a lot and like in the rollout for every album he'll be like here's a track list and then there'll be like four different track lists but um yeah I am like not a person who follows Kanye in any capacity so I'm very curious the original sequence of this album and I went over it with Greg on uh, an episode of the show in September it was really good and you know with this one it's so it's so all over the place it's like Jail, which was like so obviously the intro song is track six or seven. Like everything's just all over the place. There's new stuff and it's all scattered throughout. Uh, Life of the Party, which was a track with Andre 3000 that leaked, was added to the album. And um, the version on the album is censored. There's also an uncensored version that's a single because Andre 3000 didn't want it to be put out censored. This version that's been put out does not contain Kanye's verse from the leak, which was a Drake disc because they're, you know, they're moving past that. So this is just some other verse and it's not as good a verse, but like, you know, good track, whatever. Um, it's a it's a big week for artists like putting out new and very controversial versions of their albums. <laughs> It's true. It's true. And we will certainly get into the rest of that. But um, other than that, a couple minor changes. Tyler, the creator, vocals on Come to Life. Uh, Kid Cudi, Remote Control Part 2 with an extended Glove Will Get the Lab part at the end. Uh, Never Abandon Your Family, Up From the Ashes. The Throat Goat line was removed from Believe What I Say. Uh, the Letta Op Blunt line was removed from Off the Grid. Jesus Lord Part 2, which was 11 minutes long on the original version of the album, is now 12 minutes long. <laughs> A new uncut minute. (laughs) Oh, man. And yeah, some other minor changes there. Um, I would definitely say, having gone through all the the changes that are there, I like the tracks that have been added, but I do think this is 
uh, inferior to the original version of the album. But speaking of original versions of albums, Taylor Swift did also release a new version of Red this past weekend. Uh, you know, pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I've honestly never been a big fan of Red. And I do, I, I like Taylor, but I got into her with uh, Lover, honestly. And I like Lover. I like 1989. I, you know, Folklore is probably her best album. That's just... Yeah. That's just how it is. Yeah, I was big into, like, her early albums because I was, like, a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> sure, um, sure. So I was, like, I was big into the Speak Now album. I was big into the Fearless album. And then by the time Red came along, I was like, did anyone actually ever listen to Red the first time around? I feel like no one did. <laughs> it, it definitely, it was interesting because at that moment, it was like, oh, she's gone pop. Even though you could say that about, like, any Taylor Swift album. Yeah. And, you know... People, people were kind of dunking on some of the singles and it had this this massive reappraisal in the past, you know, five years probably where people are putting it on like, on like best albums of all time lists and talking about how it's their favorite album. And, you know, like I said, I like Lover and the singles on Lover are definitely uh, bad, but it's got I Knew You Were Trouble on, on, on Red and uh, Is that 22. Bad Blood? And, uh, bad Blood was on 1989. Oh, that's gotcha. Also, that's, also, that, that, that's probably, I, I might call that the worst Taylor Swift song, but um, <laughs> I do really like the 10-minute version of All Too Well. I think that's a great song. She performed it on SNL, and that was an amazing performance. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I can't necessarily fault anything about anything about the album. Ed Sheeran's on it twice. Uh, Incredible, <laughs> yeah. Take that however you will. Um, yeah, that's red. Uh, let's see, Britney's free. Britney is free. Britney is free. Honestly, it's been. I mean, obviously, it's been too long, but I'm so I'm yeah. I'm so happy for her. Absolutely, and. Um, I'm, I'm I'm glad that this story has an ending because for a long time it felt like it was just gonna be like this forever. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Which you know, um, a a lot to say for just making something as public as possible and talking about it incessantly until a judge says fine. You know. Absolutely. And you know, one thing that I think about the, the the Britney Spears thing is it's probably the most bipartisan issue in America today. You it know? really is. I, I hate that that's true also, because we are still <laughs> in a pandemic. Uh, please get vaccinated. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I think I think Britney, Britney's whole career, I can say this about but I think I think this moment in particular has just been like such a singularity of a moment for the american people <laughs> and a coming together yeah. i haven't seen anything in the past like eight years where like you know every you know where, where republicans and democrats and leftists and anarchists and every like 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 you know every, everyone agrees that, that, that they should free britney and really it was even like for for the past couple of years it was even like every judge that the case was brought to was like had to be like, you know, this is a, a very specific legal thing that's happening right now, and I can't actually free her myself, but I would if I could. Yeah, you know, like yeah, I remember reading all of those decisions. Um, I I'm I'm waiting for the like Hulu documentary or whatever that's just about Jamie Spears being the most hated man in America. God damn! Like after after Firefest I... happened when they had the documentary with the guy, and he was just like, "Yeah, I'm a piece <laughs> of shit." 
<laughs> Guess what? They uh, Pablo Larraín, who did uh, Jackie and just now Spencer, he's talking about how he wants that to be like a trilogy, and people have sort of suggested to him the idea that the third one should be about Britney Spears. Oh wow! And yeah, and he's been like, I don't know. <laughs> the thing that he said was like, would she play herself, or would she like be there while someone else is playing her? Yeah, she, I feel know, like yeah. the answer to that is just like, it's too soon. What are you doing? <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? This happened a month ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those, are, those are the thoughts on Brittany. Um, the other thing, and this is something that really goes back to my student radio show, The Platform, uh, where on Disney Plus Day last year, they made a lot of insane announcements and we sort of went through them on the show. And uh, Disney Plus Day also happened in the last couple of days. It was not quite as um, unhinged <laughs> as the previous one, but there were some interesting announcements that I thought uh, that people aren't talking about that much that I thought we could maybe go through. We got the trailer for the Ice Age Adventures of Buck Wild, which was sort of the grand finale of my previous talk that the that Disney is keeping and reviving the Ice Age franchise. <laughs> wow. wow. I haven't thought about the Ice Age movies in a decade i feel like it's so crazy they dissolved blue sky and they're keeping ice age. yeah i mean if i mean if isn't that like the only blue sky property to be fair yeah fair like they they you know they couldn't not gonna do more like robots or rio or anything like that like they they can you know sort of rest on and they'll keep doing dr seuss stuff i'm sure well illumination is doing dr seuss stuff now well the whole thing but um so yeah ice age is back and it seems like the it's mostly about uh crash and eddie this 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 new show that they're doing it seems like the main three characters are not in it very much uh which is fine ice age the next generation yeah, when I come, what you know, there was a very specific moment in 2001 where it made sense to make an animated movie with like Ray Romano and David Spade, and they're just kind of like John Leguizamo, and they're just like talking for for most of it. Like, yeah, what a strange moment in pop culture. I think we should just erase the aughts in general. <laughs> Honestly, I, I I very much feel the same way. I think there's so much in Bush era pop culture that just that was so huge like 24 yeah <laughs> 24 was like the biggest thing in the world <laughs> i had at the beginning of the pandemic i had a podcast that was just me watching every episode of 24 and talking <laughs> about it and i got 15 episodes into the first season and then enough like really horrible stuff happened that i was like this isn't fun anymore <laughs> and i just kind of stopped it was called 20 core <laughs> My mom loves 24. <laughs> God damn. That, it was everything, though. It was like Lost and Heroes and, um, yeah. I don't know, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And it just, just every, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, it goes crazy. Incredible, yeah. Just a wild ride, that whole that whole eight to ten years there. Yeah. But now it's back. Now Ice Age is back. Now Ice Age is back. Like, that's it's... the thing that we revived from the aughts. That's the thing that Disney decided needs a new life is Ice Age. Yeah. It's crazy when you look at, like, the box office numbers for the Ice Age movies. And, like, they all make money. But each successive one, it's, like, 
30% overseas, 50% overseas. I think the fifth one, it was like 80% overseas. Yeah. Like they less and less interest in America, but they keep making them because someone's watching that. Well, here's the thing is I feel like maybe this is like a thought for another day, but in a way, wasn't Scrat the first minion? Yeah. Because that, yeah. that was the first... I feel like that's the first thing that I remember where it's like, there's this little weird guy in a movie and suddenly he's everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that um, Scrat definitely changed the game in that regard. I think you could kind of take it back to like video game marketing with like Mario and Sonic and all their derivatives. Um, I can't believe Daxter was the first minion. <laughs> Daxter was... <laughs> Fucking, fucking Dennis the Menace was the first minion. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm like stepping on your news recap <laughs> to talk no, about this minions. Is, this is great stuff. I definitely think that you wouldn't have the minions without Scrat. I think that some of the some of the Pixar shorts would do those like would have those like weird little guys in them, but then those were just like for the shorts yeah. and I feel like I feel like Blue Sky sort of changed the game in terms of like these shorts are popular they're winning Oscars let's just have this guy everywhere <laughs> yeah it is very strange to me that there's never been like a Pixar short that has like broken out of being just a short yeah the the most I can think of is like the lamp and that's <laughs> yeah yeah and he's, he's just in he's just like in the Pixar logo yeah. he's not you know they don't put lamps on everything <laughs> So other stuff from the Disney Plus Day, um, they're also doing a Cheaper by the Dozen remake with Gabrielle Union and Zach Braff. Thank God. Honestly. <laughs> just, what we, just what the doctor ordered. That'll... <laughs> Honestly, and, and obviously Zach Braff is like, okay. <laughs> like, there's this guy. Um, sure. But I'm... I'm so glad that Cheaper by the Dozen is getting more traction. I loved those <laughs> movies as a child. That's how I know Steve Martin. <laughs> They're bringing it back. I probably, I mean, I was, you know, I was a comedy nerd, so I definitely became aware of Steve Martin pretty soon. But in a certain sense, p the Pink Panther movies were the first thing that I, like, saw Steve Martin yeah. in, you know? Yeah. I read the Cheaper by the Dozen book when I was in, like, middle school. It's bizarre. It's 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 exactly what you would think like a, a like a middle school reader aged book about like a family with twelve kids would be right. It's just like horrible and bizarre sure. and kind of boring. <laughs> so other than that, um, they announced the animated Diary of a Wimpy Kid Roderick Rules movie as the first one is coming out in a few weeks. We got a clip from Peter Jackson's Beatles documentary. We got John Mulaney and Andy Samberg talking about their Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers movie, which they clarified is not a reboot, but a comeback. That makes me think that it's something like a, um, like Looney Tunes back in action where it's, you know, they're sort of breaking the fourth wall and it's like, what are Chip and Dale, you know, doing after all these years? They want to get back into the, back into the limelight. Yeah, pulling in Chip and Dale for one last job. Exactly. It's their biggest mission yet, and they're they're three days from retirement. <laughs> uh, live action Pinocchio, directed by Robert Zemeckis and starring Tom Hanks. Some some Nat Geo series, one starring Chris Hemsworth, one starring Will Smith. Uh, a Nat Geo series called America the Beautiful. That's just like the natural wonders of of America. That, that felt weird to me, but I guess it's I guess there's you know, beauty in the, in, in the country, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, 
Sure. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna make I was gonna make some sort of reference to America Sings, uh, but that's sad <laughs> and also too inside baseball for theme parks. They announced this movie. It's like a gender swap modern day Cinderella story called Sneakerella. I, I had this thought about Cinderella movies when the Camila Cabello one came out. That like I don't I don't know that there's been a necessary Cinderella movie <laughs> since the original Disney one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen either of the the new live action ones, and I think that, I think even like the youngest, most princess addled child brain is kind of past Cinderella. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cinderella is like the first wave feminism of princess movies. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the suffragette of the yeah <laughs> of the princess movies. Even doing Snow White movies, like that was that was a thing for a little bit. And I and I feel like Snow White even is just sort of an inherently more interesting character than Cinderella. And I don't know if that's just because even though Snow White's an older Disney movie, I think that Cinderella is sort of like the princess story yeah. for, from like for the past like 500 years that like it's sort of the first thing you think of in terms of princess stories. Yeah, I mean like it's her castle and the logo, you know. Uh, we got a trailer for the new Proud Family. Uh, we, got, we got some new Proud Family coming early next year. Oh. That's exciting. I have to look yeah. that up. Coming up in uh, February. They announced a live action Spiderwick Chronicles series. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> maybe we'll get lucky and it'll be like the um series of unfortunate events uh netflix series and it'll like be really really could good. be could be i remember spiderwood chronicles being a big deal when i was a kid but i don't i i, <laughs> I don't really remember why or how you know <laughs> like like I, I i was in theory like a reader when i was a kid but it was later diagnosed that i i was I'm pretty bad at reading and uh, reading comprehension rather I could you know I could read pretty fast but yeah I'd, I'd like I didn't really read that much but um Spiderwick Chronicles I feel like there were commercials for it you know it feels like it was like a franchise in, in that moment and yet what is it yeah they had like and and I, I I was a big reader as a kid um to my horror and dismay um and and I, I think I read like four out of the five Spider-Man Chronicles books, like just like from my middle school library. But I remember like they would like at Chick-fil-A or something, they would just like give you like little chapters from the Spiderwick Chronicles books and like your kids <laughs> meal or whatever. Like it was like it was a huge moment. And again, like everything in the aughts, no one talks about it. <laughs> Yeah, there were so many, I mean, that alone, you could point to so many things like uh, Aragon. And I love like Aragon. <laughs> I love Aragon. Everyone listening to this should go follow Chris Paolini on Twitter, because he's just a wholesome delight these days. He's just kind of like retweeting fan art and talking about his next project. He's like normal. Fuck it's yeah. awesome. Fuck yeah. I love that. Uh, but this is, you know, Disney's dredging up all this, <laughs> all this Bush era shit that... <laughs> doesn't mean anything yeah um let's see the uh new willow series coming next year warwick davis is returning as willow wow i thought spider wick was a deep cut <laughs> we brought out willow this yeah, is bring so it back willow yeah fucking i don't know <laughs> with warwick davis returning which is so funny to me that man's career yeah. is is just like wild. I I can't I can't imagine. That's like my like dinner with Andre guy, right? Is like I just want to like sit down and talk to Warwick Davis about just like life for a while. Yeah, there was a funny moment. There the the clip that they showed from it was just like Warwick Davis like doing bits with the cast, 
and there was this and there was this one actor who was in who, who was in solo and there was this bit where like he didn't recognize her and she was and she was like we were in solo together and he was like you know i didn't see that <laughs> and i just thought that was pretty good yeah i stand uh creatives who don't pay attention to their own shit it seems really healthy yeah. I love when I, I love when Gwyneth Paltrow is, is talking about like Marvel movies, and she's like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there was a, a moment when she was on uh, John Favreau's like cooking show, and and John Favreau started talking about them being in Spider Man, and she was like, We weren't in Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Gwyneth Paltrow has seen Glee. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, maybe she has. There was a really great thing where she. Um, it was at some kind of event, and she took. She posted this picture of her, uh, of her in a crowd with like, w- with like Sebastian Stan. I don't remember the actual story here, but I remember that there was a picture of her in a crowd with Sebastian Stan, and she was like, and she was like, "It's great to meet you." <laughs> and Sebastian Stan was like, "We did like four movies." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that for her. She's so bonkers. She's great see a documentary about Boba Fett which I just thought was kind of weird Cars on the Road a new Cars series with Owen Wilson and Larry the Cable Guy as uh, Lightning and Mater I forgot about Larry the Cable Guy's whole existence and I did I thought about (laughs) Mater from Cars like yesterday and I yeah I've just divorced that man from the world in my brain (laughs) yeah I mean he's he's been kind of he sort of disappeared into the role, yeah. <laughs> you know. Sorry, I feel like I and I, I I know we're like going so long on this. I feel like it's just a testament to like how out of the loop pop culture wise I am these days. That everything you bring up, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep reacting in that way. No, it's great. It's great. We'll you know we'll have plenty of time to talk about Tammy and the T Rex. Yeah, um, just 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 for you, like feel free to cut anything that I'm saying. <laughs> anytime. Um, first ever pixar like long form series long form original series win or lose is coming uh a short form zootopia series sort of an interesting idea uh a tiana series from uh stella maggie who's a director of everything everything oh yeah they announced uh x-men 97 like a continuation of the cartoon which started in 92 and ended in 97 oh wow yeah, they are, you know, bringing back that cartoon. The thing that the thing that stuck with me as soon as I read that was like the guy who voiced Cyclops, who's kind of the main character of the show, died from COVID. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, whoopsie daisy, huh? Yeah, and just right out the gate, just like we're bringing it back. I I don't know, man. Um, people like that show a lot. It makes sense that they would want to that they would want to do more stuff with it. Yeah, I mean, it was a good show. I feel like that's the logical endpoint of, like, 90s nostalgia, right? Is, like, let's just literally make more of the thing that people like. Let's just keep going. I mean, the new Animaniacs is really good. Yeah, I gotta watch more of the new, uh, not new these days, but, like, the, the Powerpuff Girls reboot. Oh, yeah. Although they had that one, didn't they have, like, a really transphobic episode? Uh, probably. <laughs> if I had to guess... There's there's also the 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 like live action Diablo Cody one that's like that's not happening right that was they that was oh yeah because um they shot the pilot 
And then the studio was like, we need to completely redo this. So who knows if it's ever going to happen. <laughs> but I, I love Diablo Cody. So like, I'll, I'll watch yeah. it. <laughs> Absolutely. I, 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 <laughs> I love to see her. Um, I had a thought about something that I wanted her to do. I wanted to see like a... Um, Right. The thing that I proposed was like a live action Homestuck uh, film written by Diablo Cody. <laughs> wow. 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 Um, I was not a Homestuck person. So the only things I know about Homestuck are like secondhand from like 2013 Tumblr. Um, no, same. Yeah. Uh, but I I think I th- written by Diablo Cody is the thing to get me into Homestuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, I've, I've been planning, and this might happen in, you know, December, January, but I've been planning to have, like, because I've had three or four people on who, as we were deciding what we're going to talk about, were like, well, maybe we could talk about Homestuck. So I think I'm just going to have, like, all of them together and do sort of a round table. Yeah, wild. Um, if you ever want somebody to talk about uh, Diablo Cody's work, I'm here. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell um, yeah. I have a Juno tattoo uh, nice. to show for it and everything. And I named myself Cody, which I'm sure in some way was just uh, (laughs) subliminal messaging for that. Absolutely. What what are the best names? I think Diablo Cody is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she's crushing it. Let's see. Some new Marvel stuff. Who gives a shit? Um, Some new movies coming to Hulu. A fairy tale action movie called The Princess, a blizzard thriller called No Exit, a comedic take on Romeo and Juliet called Rosaline, and a new Predator movie called Prey, directed by Dan Trachtenberg, set in the year 1719. Okay. Yeah, I'm really into that, honestly. (laughs) I love that idea. With Predator, but honestly with any, like... Any of those like monster franchises, you know, any, anything that's really like about one villain, I feel like just different time periods, different parts of the world, like that, that that's the way forward for those franchises. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm a sucker for like a period piece, but it's like crazy supernatural, like Absolutely. people fighting in the streets and shit. Yeah. So uh, that is what's pulping this week. And that would bring us handily into our discussion of Tammy and the T-Rex. Incredible. So I've prepared a little bit of history on the film before we get into the, the gray matter. So Stuart Raffle, who we briefly talked about, is a British director who first made a name for himself making small-budget family adventure movies like The Adventures of the Wilderness Family. In 1984, he gained some notoriety for the well-received sci-fi film The Philadelphia Experiment, based on an original script by John Carpenter, and the poorly-received sci-fi film The Ice Pirates, both which came out that year. Which, just the phrase Ice Pirates is like, yes, go make that as a movie. That's like an incredible, like, two-word pitch. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because... Philadelphia Experiment, as I said, was written by John Carpenter, and the reason that he didn't make it was because he felt like it was too similar to The Fog, and The Fog is a movie that I feel like you could describe as being about ice pirates, Mm, in a way. I haven't seen it. So his next film was uh, Mac and Me, for which he won the Razzie for Worst Director. Um, I mean, I have a bunch of interview quotes from him, but he talked about how with Mac and Me, it was a contract, not even with McDonald's, but with like a distributor who did McDonald's and what was the other, it was like, it was Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I think I have the same interview up yeah. that you've probably read from the, the Bristol folks. 
Yeah. And then after that, he did Mannequin 2, the sequel to Mannequin. He wrote Passenger 57, a pretty fucking successful Wesley Snipes movie, just in the middle of all this. And right after that, he did Tammy and the T-Rex. Raffle explains, uh, this is a quote, I'm usually brought in when people need someone who can write and direct. There There are often tight deadlines because usually it's all part of some tax evasion scheme. So I come in, write it, and do it. And that's what Tammy and the T-Rex was. Which honestly, like, that's badass as a career to be like, I'm not... I'm never going to be like the best at this, but I'm good enough and I'm fast enough that if you just like need a guy to like, like launder all your money into a film, yeah, <laughs> like I can if do that. If you need a movie right now, I'll do it. Yeah. He's, he's the little Caesars of directing. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think this movie in particular is such a good example of like a guy just sort of doing stuff on the fly and it kind of works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in 1994, shortly after the release of Jurassic Park, Etka Sir Louis, a businessman who owned a chain of theaters in South America, got his hands on an animatronic T-Rex that was slated to be sent to a Texas theme park in two weeks. He approached Raffle about the prospect of making a movie with it. This is a quote from Raffle. I said, what's the story? And he said, I don't have a story, but we have to start filming within the month. So I wrote the story in a week. Yeah. Honestly, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 reminiscent of like um uh when Joss Whedon was making Firefly and the studio saw the pilot and were like we don't want to show this as the pilot so you need to write a new episode in a weekend and they wrote the train job in a weekend. And I feel like the train job is not as successful at doing what it does as Tammy and the T-Rex is at doing what it does. Yeah, there's honestly like you can tell a little bit that there are like interesting ideas in there, but they were like, we definitely don't have time to explore this, so let's just move on to the next thing. But there are interesting ideas in there. Yeah, you know, there, there, there are interesting ideas. There are like, I, I mean, I, we'll talk about the cast <laughs> and all of that. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, uh, it's also, it's, I think it's very evident in the pacing, and and we'll like get into this when we actually talk yeah. about the movie. But the pacing is very like, oh, you just sort of had like a T-Rex robot and needed to spread that into a movie, but you couldn't really do much with it except for like roll it on a dolly sometimes. <laughs> it's great. I love this movie. <laughs> it's really fun. It's really, I enjoyed it a lot. Raffle says that it wasn't the first time he'd been asked to make a movie happen with no budget and no time frame. And when he saw how shitty the dinosaur animatronic was, he decided to just go all out camp with it. And that was that, like basically... His his angle in was like clearly they want to do to do a Jurassic Park thing. I can't possibly sell this as a real dinosaur, so we're gonna make a movie about an animatronic dinosaur, and just go nuts with it. Yeah, which is like a badass move. That's a, like a balls to the wall move. Is like no, in the movie it is a robot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird. Like, I, I feel like every time I see this, and maybe you have a different opinion, but every time I watch this movie, and I've seen it like four times now, I want to say, um, I don't think the animatronic is that bad. I don't think it looks that yeah. bad. I think like, especially with the with the other production values that are happening in the rest of the movie, you could pass that off as a real T-Rex. Yeah, it has a limited range of motion, but I definitely think that like... Well, until you get, until you get the little hand puppets out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I think I, I think that movies have gotten away with worse dinosaurs, you know? Yeah. Like like you could do it. Yeah. Um, but I mean I mean if that's his his artistic vision, then who am I to argue with Stuart Raffle? 
The film featured gory effects by John Carl Buechler, who also worked on Ghoulies, Reanimator, Troll, Halloween 4, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Friday the 13th Part 7, which he directed, and The Ginger Dead Man. Oh, wow. He's, he's a real, like, uh, you know, schlock horror, like, icon, and he happened to come in for, the, for this month they were doing. Uh, yeah, and uh, does Damien great work, most of which was, like, cut in the initial release. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. So uh, Sarlui was irate after seeing Raffles cut. He brought in his own editor to eliminate the gore and many of the jokes to make it more of a family movie. Again, he was really trying to do something Jurassic Parky. <laughs> and so Stuart Raffles was like, fuck this, I'm out. And, you know, the movie kind of, sort of, maybe release it. <laughs> doesn't do anything obviously that's the end of the story for 25 years until uh vinegar syndrome comes along a home video distributor dedicated to preserving genre films and as they were preparing tammy and the t-rex for a 4k video release they you know heard tell of this of the r-rated cut that Stuart raffle did and so they you know they got their hands on it they spoke to raffle they you know, got it out. They screened it to the public for the first time at Cinepocalypse in Chicago in 2019. Uh, it was released on DVD and Blu-ray shortly thereafter and had its streaming debut on Shudder in January of 2020. And since then, the movie's cult status has skyrocketed. Yeah. And, you know, you know, here we are. Yeah. And, and, and that's like, honestly, how I heard about the movie is like me and my partner when we were first dating, which was like the beginning of the pandemic, we're like scrolling through Shudder and we were like, what is the, it has Paul Walker in it <laughs> like um and watched it like while crazy drunk and eating fancy cheese <laughs> like in my partner's studio at the time and we're like this is the best movie we've ever seen there's a there's a perfect storm of so many things here where like at the time it was like oh this movie's dead and then with the pandemic and with the you know meteoric rise of Paul Walker and just like everything sort of came together this this dropped this came out on streaming in January of 2020 yeah I mean not even not even only the meteoric rise of Paul Walker but like his tragic death is like if you see his name in credits of something that you've never heard of before you're like oh okay yeah, and uh, I have one more uh, extra bit of trivia here before yeah. <laughs> before we get into the movie. Uh, in an interview, he got uh, Raffle got asked if he got any pushback for having a gay character in the movie, and he said no. <laughs> <laughs> if you're if you're working on the scale that he was working at, I don't think anybody gives a shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. I love it when interviewers like do that. They're like, isn't it weird that you have a queer in here? And he's like, no, like most people working on this movie were gay. Yeah. What, what, what he said was, um, we all sit for six hours a day watching television, looking for something new. It's all this stuff that's human and makes us all the way we are. We're hardly that different in the end, if you think about it. <laughs> Stuart Raffle said gay rights. Good dude. Good dude. Yeah. So... That brings us into the movie. Um, my notes are in chronological order, so we could just sort of pick up at the beginning and I would love sort of, to sort of pick carry up along. At the beginning. Yeah, I would love to pick up with with uh, Denise Richards doing a cheerleading workout to a song that's just about being a T Rex, so you know what the movie's about. <laughs> well, there, <laughs> we get a little bit before. Oh, that. you're the right. First you're thing right, we you're see. Right. Yes. Sorry. First thing we see. We get, a, we get a sick guitar riff, first of all. We see Platinum Films presents a Green Line production. I don't think either of those studios are real. 
you know when you just make an LLC to make something and then you dissolve it? Exactly. And then the title card, Tanny and the Teenage Teen. Which is not the name of the movie or the character. And I don't I don't think there's any information anywhere on the internet. Did you find anything about why? I kinda did. Okay. I kinda did. The you know, first of all, it does say Tanny and the Teenage T-Rex on the title card. And then it like in the opening credits it says Denise Richards as Tanny, and then in the end credits it also credits her as Tanny. Yeah. And so, I like, think I think in the subtitles it might also say Tanny where there are subtitles. Um although fun fact, uh the DVD which I watched, I watched it on Blu-ray for this, um, do not have subtitles at all. So that's like a cool little accessibility <laughs> note. But yeah, and and, and, and just cool. for people listening, that is Tanny with ends as in Nancy. <laughs> as opposed to Tammy. Yeah, T-A-N-N-Y. So Stuart Raffle offers little explanation for this error. Uh, he, he first of all made it explicitly clear the movie was always Tammy and the T-Rex. Everyone was very clear about that. But he like kind of hinted at it. I don't have the exact quote, but he sort of made it seem like it was done on purpose. Okay. And you know, he he talked about how like early on in this process, he saw the animatronic and he was like, this sucks. Let's make it as campy as possible. And he says this thing, like, like, like when he's talking about it, how like, you know, it's campy and even the title card is spelled wrong and all that. So it sort of seems like maybe they just did that as like a bit. Yeah, that it, it very much feels like, you know, based on like, you know, if you're if you're typing it out on a QWERTY keyboard, those keys are right next to each other. It very much feels like someone just sort of misspelled it. And then someone else went, no, that's funny. Keep that. You know, it's like one of those mistakes yeah. that just makes it into canon. Yeah, especially since it's like it starts with it starts with the title card and then it's also in the opening credits and then it's also in the end credits. And, you know, it feels like someone had to either it was one person doing all that, you know, copy work, which it definitely could have been. But it definitely feels like they were just like it, it, maybe it happened once by mistake. And they were like you said, they were like, yeah, that's funny. Let's keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if again, the idea going into this movie, and I think that's something that's always an interesting balance when people talk about movies that are so bad they're good or movies that are campy or whatever, I feel like some people don't have a, a keen perception of like when movies are campy on purpose and, and you know, when, when it's unintentional and like there, there's sort of an interesting balance, I think, in terms of like how much credit you can give a movie as a bad movie when it's doing it on purpose and how much credit you can give it as a so bad as good movie. You're talking about something like Sharknado, for instance, where like they're trying so hard to to be as like wrong as possible. Yeah, but I, I, I feel like Tammy is, sorry, Tammy and the T-Rex uh, is kind of the perfect balance of both. I feel like there there's mm -hmm. enough that was just like, Stuart Raffle saying to himself, you know, I'm just going to do whatever because I have two weeks with this T-Rex robot. Um, and then there's a certain extent of it that's like, Denise Richards and Paul Walker were both like brand new actors when they were in this and give like, Denise Richards especially, because Paul Walker's like barely in this movie. Um, right. Denise Richards gives like a bizarre performance at times and it's lovely, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I, I think it's kind of like this movie really is the perfect storm. Um, and, and sorry, uh, backtracking to the misspelling for just a second. Um, this movie has been the fastest, like, let me check out this movie to I need this on DVD that I have ever experienced in my entire <laughs> life because we turned it on and we saw it say Tammy and the Teenage T-Rex. And I said, let me go on eBay and order the Blu-ray right fucking now. <laughs> 
out like five seconds into the movie. We had to stop it and rewind it to make sure we weren't being insane. My first time watching this, it was it's it's magical. It's a magical moment if you watch this. It's interesting because like the story is, uh, you, you know, about how uh, Star Louis brought in his own editor and like, you know, mangled the movie. You almost want to think that the new editor was like not on on the same page as everyone else and maybe to, like, like typed in the wrong name and stuff but this is this is the 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 original Stuart raffle cut the gory version that we see so like it's not that <laughs> yeah it's just it's just a bizarre choice that really works with the campiness of the rest of it absolutely so yeah we get the opening sequence as you said in which cheerleaders practice their routine to a song that goes feel the rumble feel the roar dance to the rhythm of the dinosaur uh and enter 90s crop top paul walker 90s crop top <laughs> paul walker i okay and and this is this is the first instance of me saying that uh this movie is just about two t for t couples who are battling each other uh, <laughs> Paul Walker is a T-boy in this movie. Paul Walker I'm is so trans coded. Are you kidding me? Like a sweat, a cutoff crop top sweatshirt? And, th- and that little, oh. And then he has the surgery where they put his brain into it. Yeah, he has the surgery later. I mean, we'll talk about the morgue scene later, but the morgue scene is entirely transsexual. Um, Absolutely. I, I love Paul Walker in this movie. I, <laughs> um, and I, I love the, this idea... I, I feel like what you were saying earlier is so true about how there are some really interesting ideas in this movie, but they don't really follow through on any of them because he was just kind of throwing things together. I think one of those is like these two characters, our two main characters, Tammy and Michael, are coded as like popular kids because she's like a cheerleader and he's on the football team. But it's never yeah. like that. That is not a connotation that is followed through on in any way. It's just like he happens yeah, to be the, on the football team and she happens to be a cheerleader. And the bullies are punks. The bullies are not like your your, your traditional like high school movie bullies at all. Yeah. But but like all of this and all of like the high school world evaporates immediately after the bullies are done doing their job. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The, the bullies get killed. Yeah. <laughs> Which they're established as the villains in the first five minutes. And then they die. Yeah, and then they die at the end of the first act. It's really good. Yeah, very good. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, Tammy and Michael are just sort of making eyes at each other throughout the the cheerleader practice. Tammy is so horny uh, for this boy. They're both so horny for each other the whole way through, and I can't overemphasize that. They're very horny. They are are heavily implied to have sex when he's an animatronic. Yes, 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 yes. We will get there. I have notes about yeah. this. So as you said, this was the first starring role for both Richards and Walker. Um, and they would have their breakout roles a few years later. Richards would have uh, Starship Troopers in 97 and Walker would have Meet the Deedles in Pleasantville in 98. So yeah, really th- this was their, you know, out the gate starring role experience. Certainly no no one <laughs> like like in in getting Denise Richards into Starship Troopers, there was never a moment where like Paul Verhoeven was like, oh, let me watch T- Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. And, see what she's about. and you know, uh, and and I think Stuart Raffle says this in, in an interview somewhere, but like neither of them were like particularly good actors at this point. Like they were clearly still learning the craft. Paul Walker was 17 when they shot this, yeah. which is 
wild to think about. And I think Denise Richards was like maybe 20 or 21. I almost have to wonder, like, if they had released the Stuart Raffle version, it probably wouldn't have had a big release anyway. But I wonder, like, if there had been any kind of like out the gate following for this, what would it have done for Paul Walker and Denise Richards? Yeah. Like, would 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 they have continued in like the sort of like gory thriller horror path? Yeah, because even though this isn't really a horror movie, like it, it is very much, you know, with Buechler doing the, the effects and all that, like there's very, it very much leans in that direction. And I could see Denise Richards as like a scream queen, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, like I think she could be really good at that. Um, and, and Paul Walker, too. I mean, I, I, I think Paul Walker's done, you know, he's not known for horror, but I think he's done one or two other things. But yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Um, but then uh, continuing with our sort of notes yes we are next introduced to byron Byron, the best character (laughs) in this fucking movie byron is a walking talking like black gay stereotype and he absolutely he is chewing up this set this actor was having so much fun He's having so much fun. He is always wearing a dashiki for no reason. For absolutely no reason. And we we meet his dad. And his dad is just like we a do. cop. His dad's a cop. <laughs> it's like it's like he's wearing it as like a gay thing for some fucking reason. <laughs> right. But yeah, Byron Byron is here. Byron is uh, Tanny's best friend. And Byron is in love with Michael, as everyone in this movie is in love with Michael. Absolutely. And who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't who be? Look us? at his tummy. Look at his little crop top <laughs> and his little tummy. Tammy and Michael, they're talking about this flower that he gave her. And she can't take it because her ex-boyfriend, Billy, is is mean and jealous. He's a stalker. He's like stalking and harassing her. And she's like, oh, Billy, I can't be in love with my boyfriend because you keep stalking me. Free Tammy. It's so serious. It's so it's Free Tammy. Free Tammy. It's, Billy is, is so out there right up to the point that we'll, that we'll get to where he just, <laughs> we'll get to it. The, the lion thing. Yeah, we'll get to the, oh, we'll get to the lions. Um, but yeah, Billy is uh, also trans. Uh, he's got a little page boy haircut that I love very much. Um, and he's got just a little a little coterie of like uh, guys from the Uptown Girl music video. <laughs> Absolutely. He's got a, a, a merry band yeah. of fucking miscreants. Yeah, my, first of all, Michael takes a bite out of the flower, which, which is a, which is so a, a fun, fun moment. Yeah. A fun what he's so silly he's so silly but he's so sweet and he's like the perfect boy <laughs> exactly there's nothing that he has no flaws uh and yeah, that's what he's an animatronic to dinosaur yeah his only flaw is being a dinosaur robot yeah and then <laughs> and then Billy show- <laughs> oh are we gonna talk about the fight <laughs> Yeah, so Billy shows up with this gang of punks and starts beating the shit out of them. Great genders on these guys. That's the note that I have. There. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, the so so they have this fight that culminates in both of these men grabbing each other's nuts. 
Yeah. For like a full just, minute. They're like stationary. They're not doing anything else. They're just grabbing by the nuts as the as the cops show up to like break them up and can't pull them apart from each other. No, they really want to feel each other's nuts in this. Except uh, Billy's not even feeling Michael's nuts because plot twist. Michael, because he's on the football team, is wearing a cup. <laughs> so it's actually fine. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. (laughs) There are no consequences for anyone's actions in this entire film, and this is the start of it. (laughs) Does Billy, like, not not know? I guess maybe Michael is sort of, like, playing it up and pretending that it hurts. Yeah, I also had that question is, like, can Billy not tell? That he's wearing a cup? Or maybe Billy's just trying to save face with his friends. And is like, oh, yeah, Yeah. I'm grabbing this guy's nuts real good. The uh, the line from the cop is, what we have here is one of them testicular standoffs. <laughs> oh, I missed that. That, that. That's the thing is like, the sound in this movie is not great. And the delivery of all of the dialogue is also not great. So there's a lot of like very quick lines that I just kind of miss. Because also when I, if I'm watching Tanny, I'm not sober. So like... <laughs> The Billy's delivery throughout his his uh, brief time in the film, but especially in this scene, is so unhinged. (laughs) Like you you could expect him to be like a really brooding like kind of guy, but he's so off the wall and kind of kind of Nick Cagey with the like blown out you know delivery and all that. He comes across as just like a boy who. uh, First of all, he comes across as like an eighteen year old who's clearly 35 um who just kind of wants to kill people (laughs) who's just kind of decided that he has ownership over this woman and just wants to kill anyone who gets in his way which is as you said entirely unhinged so tammy runs off in tears as brief exchange with uh michael and byron and then we cut really dramatically to the to the blood red skies and then we get this great introduction of the dinosaur the titular t-rex yeah the titular T-Rex with the smoke and the and the strings playing and it's like here he yeah. is here he is everyone there he is um yeah I, I I read in my notes that it is and I as I said earlier it is simply bizarre that it is canonically a robot yeah <laughs> I guess it would be it would be sillier I, I think it might have been a lateral thing if it was a real dinosaur though you know like at, at the end of the day it's always going to be campy yeah yeah, there are things you get and things you lose from having it be a robot, but I do think it's a it's it's a great, you know, additional layer to just throw yeah. in there. Uh, Dr. Uh, Gunter Wachenstein uh, <laughs> intends to bring the animatronic to life, giving it a brain and immortality. And, you know, this is his this is his evil plan. He's going to put a brain in the dinosaur yeah. and it's gonna And live he does forever. mention much later in the movie, he mentions like, oh yeah. My plan is, like, for everyone to just get a robot body at some point, and so everyone can be immortal, and, like, maybe your boyfriend can just, like, be in a pet robot. <laughs> like, he talks about people being, like, animal robots as, like, his ideal world, which, honestly, very trans. <laughs> yeah. And, and just, like, you know, his 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 eventual idea is, like, we'll put people into robots and they can live forever. Why start with a dinosaur? It's what he had. You got to work with what you have, just like Stuart Raffle did on this entire movie. I do want to point out in this scene, A, um, I don't know if we ever get a name for these guys, but they're, like, two henchmen that they have. There's, like, a muscly yeah, guy. 
Do they have names? They do have names. The muscly guy, I believe, is Carl. Carl. And the little guy is, um, what's the little guy's name? It's here somewhere. It might be... I just kept calling him Radar O'Reilly because he looks like Radar (laughs) O'Reilly from MASH. Oh, his name is Bobby, but he's played by John Franklin, who three years after this would play the bellhop in Tower of Terror, a movie that we covered on the show like two weeks ago. <laughs> oh, wild. Yeah, that that is not the last like surprising cameo in this film. And we will get there. Um, <laughs> we'll get to the pizza boy. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, I, 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 I'm in love with... Uh, and I've already his name has fallen out of my brain, but the 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 tiny tech guy who's just like controlling the dinosaur, I'm in love with him. Bobby, Bobby, I, w- I, I was I was in love with Radar Riley from Mash, and I said you look like Radar from Mash, um, and you also look like the tiniest little T boy. Um, uh, this is also the scene where we meet the other T for T couple, who is Helga and Gunther, and we haven't even talked about yes. Helga yet. We got to talk about <laughs> Helga's tits are a whole character. <laughs> Fucking Helga. She when she shows up to the funeral in like the leopard print. <laughs> when she's no, when she's in the hospital with like the weird like outline of a bra that she's wearing. Helga is like by far the horniest character in this movie, and that's fucking saying something. She always it's has so to be great. doing something sexy, and one scene later she's like eating a strawberry for no goddamn reason. <laughs> I love her. And then she she eats a strawberry and then she has another strawberry. Yeah, I love her. Oh man. Um yeah, we get this uh this great little scene here uh where we're introduced to that whole crew. I didn't actually have any notes on that scene. I was trying to see if I did, but um yeah, the the Carl, the, the the strong man who's part of the crew for some reason, he, he like lifts up a barbell to the, to the dinosaur, and and that's like the only reason that that he's a strong guy. There, yeah, like, you need like a nerd scene. and you need a jock. It's the dichotomy of you need a nerd and a jock and a bimbo and <laughs> and and a scientist. Yeah, and a scientist. Yeah, uh, but then we cut back over to uh, Tammy who is calling over Michael. Yeah, uh, Michael sneaks over to Tammy's. She invites him to climb up the trellis and come in, you know. Yeah, like a normal person. I do want to say the scene where they have the phone call where Tammy's like, can you come over? Um, They are in two different scenes at that point because Tammy is like (laughs) crying and upset like my ex-boyfriend is stalking and harassing me. And Michael Paul Walker is like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck her pussy tonight. Oh yeah, I'll come over and I'll fuck you. (laughs) And she's like, I need comfort. And he's like, my dick is comforting. (laughs) Yeah, and like as soon as he's sneaking in the these two girls from from Billy's these two lesbians from Billy's cohort just happen to be driving by. Just happen to be driving by, as you do. They're in the neighborhood and they're like, oh, look at this. And, you know, these two really can't catch a break. Just like, just like so far, every second they are being pursued <laughs> by Billy and his team. Yeah. And that doesn't really, that doesn't really let up at a specific point, kind of when he's a dinosaur <laughs> and he eats them. But like... Yeah, it kind of stops. Up. It's, it's, it's wild. It's like, where were these girls driving to? Because this is, this is not like a main road. It's like a residential street. Were they just like circling the block, keeping an eye out? Or were they just out <laughs> for a joyride? Yeah, they're just girlfriends out for a joyride. <laughs> 
Uh, I, yeah, he sneaks into her room. Um, is is this the scene where uh, we we see Tammy's parents and and Billy like comes to the front door? Um, yes. Uh, Billy comes to the front door after like the the girls call call Billy. Um, I do want to point out beforehand when Paul Walker's sneaking into her room, uh, her dad calls her on the phone from inside the house to be like, what was that noise? <laughs> because he like room. knocks over a candlestick or some shit. And because like, I guess they couldn't get the parents for that day when they were doing that scene. <laughs> I, I don't even know how on a landline you call someone in the same house. I mean, house. if you're like Claudia Kishi in the Babysitter's Club and you have your own landline, I guess maybe they can dial the other number. But like, I don't know. It's bizarre. Again, I guess that has to yeah. be it. Yeah, so many, so many things <laughs> in this movie that clearly were not choices, but end up as fantastic choices. Yeah, it feels like a thing where, when they made the scene where the dad calls her, they definitely did not have it that the dad is downstairs. Yeah. Again, he wrote this basically as they were shooting it. It's true. It's true. He he got the story out in a week, and then the the details. He was like, "We'll we'll figure it yeah. out." There, there's a bit of a, a bit of phone tag happening where Billy, you know, ends up at the front door and and the dad lets him in for some reason. <laughs> like, like he's like, I'll go deal with him, and then he, you know, just storms right past yeah. him. And he's just listen. The dad, just a weak little beta, just does not. He can't can't he handle an alpha like Billy just busting his way into his house. Absolutely, busting makes him feel <laughs> good. And so Billy and his gang kidnap Michael. <laughs> and they take him to the conveniently located wild animal Yeah, the park. convenient big cat enclosure uh, near their house. I Another fun fact about this movie, this was all filmed within 25 miles of Stuart Raffles' house, which is incredible. They have, they have just some lions and jaguars lying around, and they drive in here, and they uh, start beating the shit out of him, Michael. The lions, the thing that I had read from the... Uh, from the interview is they asked him about if they were uh tippy hedron's lion because she was uh she was in you know a conservationist and he and her were friends and he was like no we just like we just like got some lions yeah he's like, he said that belonged to another friend of mine <laughs> just another friend of another his friend who had who lions. Lions. yeah <laughs> which is it's wild every time i see that move every time i see this movie i'm like oh that's just like a real lion apparently like a member of the crew got bit at some point um which I, I I don't know the exact source on that, but I remember my partner like one time when we were watching this, like bringing up some fun facts and being like, oh yeah, got, somebody got like attacked while filming this. Yeah, I mean when you when you've got that kind of time frame and you're like, let's have a scene with lions in it. I guess if you're a guy like Stuart Raffle who is friends with all the lion tamers in town, then like sure, let's put a lion in yeah. there. Yeah, there's a moment where the lesbians are like watching Michael get the shit kicked out of him, and there one of them is like, we better not tell anyone we did this, and I'm like. Great, cool. I'm glad that you established that ground rule. <laughs> but like, crucially, they don't, Billy decides not to kill him. Billy just lets him off in a warning and then abandons him in the middle of the wild animal park. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my reading of that was that that was the plan yeah. to, you know, because they take him there in the trunk and then he doesn't know where he is. And they're like, okay, we're letting you off easy. You better say thank you. And then of course he's going to get yeah, mauled. Yeah, plausible deniability. Uh, by the animals. And then, um, 
Yeah, so mauled by a lion, ends up in the hospital where Denise and Byron arrive in full couture. <laughs> the outfits in Just this really... movie are incredible. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Denise Richards' outfit for the like the last half of the movie is incredible. Yeah, they 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 they're really everyone like I guess maybe this is a fashion hospital and just everyone has to show because everyone's doing the most when they come into this hospital here and um, Michael is receiving treatment for complications due to being mauled by a lion. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's being watched over by his drunk <laughs> uncle, who is the only family he has. Absolutely, uncle Uncle Bob, uh, who is asleep for most of this sequence. Yeah. Uh, Helga and uh, Walkenstein appear and they, I don't remember like how they finagle their way into the room, but uh, I think he it's like just knows like the doctor he, or Yeah, something. like he's like a neurosurgeon or whatever, which I'm sure is true in the world of the movie. And it's just like, I want to see your patients, even the ones who have no brain injury because I made sure that he had no brain injuries before I decided to steal him. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a... Um... You know, that, that that's sort of an interesting thing in and of itself that, you know, the the evil scientist is a doctor and might have connections through being a doctor that could be useful for evil plans. Yeah. I mean, if you want to take over the world, get a PhD. That's that's what I've always heard is the first step, which to be fair, like what are his actual goals besides like make everybody into an immortal robot? I feel like his goals are not necessarily take over the world. I feel like he... It's, it's the whole thing where, like, the villain never thinks they're the villain, right? It's, like, I think he genuinely wants to just, like, be a transhumanist. Um, yeah. yeah. But it's just, I'm like, kidnapping like... half-dead boys to do it. Yeah, he really only, like, if you think about the scope of his plan, he's really only inconveniencing this one guy and the, like, five people who know him. <laughs> yeah. Um, which... I mean, fortunately for him, uh, none of those five people include, like, close family members, because we got that out of the way, because he's an orphan. Yeah. <laughs> but he seems very well adjusted for being an orphan. Totally. He's <laughs> he's the coolest he, he's the coolest kid in town, and no one knows anything about him except for the, except for the five people they can pay to, <laughs> to, to be his, his, his circle in the movie. Yeah. So uh, Helga and Gunter... Uh, enter <laughs> enter the room. They are impersonating doctors. I mean, he is a doctor, but they they're pretending to be Michael's doctors. Yeah, she's she's impersonating some sort of like doctor themed stripper. Um. Yeah, the, this great line here where Byron says, "Excuse me, didn't I see you in a movie?" And Helga says, "Which movie?" And then Gunther says, "You didn't see that one." <laughs> <laughs> And and again, I do have to point out, like the the outfit that Helga is wearing in this sequence is so good. There's like a yeah. she's got like like a jacket over like again like the frame wire outline of a bra. <laughs> yeah, she's she's sort of doing like, I mean, we were talking about the X Men cartoon earlier. She's sort of doing like comic book X Men outfits for this whole movie. She really is. Yeah, the first time that she showed up in an outfit where I like couldn't see her tits at all, I was shocked. I was like shocked and offended um, <laughs> that we were denied Helga. Um, yeah. Yeah. A fun fact: uh, Helga is played by Ellen Dubin, who uh, is the only cast member this film shares with Dune. Oh, wild. <laughs> I can't believe I have to see Dune now. 
Yeah, she does a voice. She's like, um, <laughs> she, she, it's part of like the Bene Gesserit thing. I, I couldn't figure out exactly what she was, but there's a bunch of like voice stuff in the movie, you know? Mm. Um, there is a line that the, uh, speaking of pulling out lines from this scene, uh, the uncle has a line, the quote, it's just a bad day for everybody. And I was yeah. like, that's me <laughs> watching this a great, movie. A great fucking cap to the scene. He wakes up. With his, with his flask of booze, and he's like, this is just a bad day for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also, it's really funny, it's really genuinely very funny when um, when Helga, like, pulls the plug on, on, on Michael and then Gunther is pounding his chest and being like, live, live, live! Yeah, like, really putting it on. That's his Oscar-winning moment, is pretending to try and resuscitate a boy. As as Denise Richards is, like, screaming and crying. She's, like, doing her best. And then after a few tries, he's like, well, th- there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they, uh, they wheel him outside and they do, like, an extended Wizard of Oz reference for some reason. Yeah, they, they wheel him out back, uh... A really, really, another really funny scene where they're trying to make their getaway and he keeps waking up. And I, <laughs> I like the Wizard of Oz joke. I also <laughs> like that he wakes up again. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually again, Helga just cold gogs him. Yeah, because again, I think every scene in this movie is just an example of let's stretch this concept out as far as it'll possibly go. Because we have to fill 90 minutes with this goddamn dinosaur robot. And, and despite that, I really don't, like, like, there are definitely, every scene is kind of like drawn out and they're doing a lot with each scene, but it never to me feels like a, a scene overstays its welcome. No, because they're having fun doing it. Because every every single person in this movie is chewing up the scenery to hell in every scene they're in, and they love it. Because they just get to goof around. Absolutely. And so, yeah, it's it's also just, like, a, a funny idea. Another thing that's just, like, part of this, you know, kind of cliche moment of, you know, the the bad guys are wheeling someone out and they're un- he's unconscious and they're making a getaway with him. And then he just like, he just keeps waking up as they're trying to get him into the car. That's like a funny, you know, concept. Yeah, it's good comedy. We get the, uh, that that brings us to the scene where they're, uh, they're cutting open Michael's head and, you know, pulling out his brain. I yeah. like the, I like the gag where Bobby, uh, the you know the little guy, he, he he's like holding up that tray and he keeps getting splattered with blood like more and more as they're doing it. Yeah, I I wrote in my notes that he is in love with Michael, but I think everyone in this movie is in love with Michael. Absolutely. Like everyone who sees Michael is like, you're so beautiful, um, which is fair. <laughs> I mean, look at that crop top. Um, sure. But uh, uh, yeah, the the gore in this scene is really something else. I love it a lot. Um, I, I especially I like the mannequin head with like the real guy's body lying underneath the table yeah yeah it's there's some good gore stuff in here there's some good like b-movie practical effects yeah really good stuff yeah i was comparing it to uh have you seen willie's wonderland uh yes yeah um i i I was comparing it to that because i think that and and maybe this is like my bigger point about tammy and the t-rex but i think there's a genre of movie and it, it, you know, it, it includes Tammy and the T-Rex and it sort of, Willy's Wonderland is like a more recent example of this, mm-hmm. um, where 
the person making this movie is just kind of really into the practical effects aspect of it and it's like yeah. everything comes second you know like it can be a really shitty story but if you have enough just like buckets of blood and like half convincing mannequins you can make it into something really great yeah i i think that's so much of what like where the shutter crowd comes from and if you just look at like any of the big horror franchises if you get more than two or three movies in that's what they become yeah which is great i think that's wonderful and this is like me as like a story person right like i'm like a screenwriter guy and i'm like no sometimes you can just sort of have like a head ripped off a body and nothing around that and it's fine yeah same because because like you know I, I i think from a writing perspective you know you if you're writing scenes where these where these big gore moments happen then you know you're writing something that you're passionate about and there you know it feels good to see yeah and it just feels fun i think i think a yeah. lot of modern media has just lost the plot of like sometimes you can just have fun <laughs> and it doesn't have to be all of this yeah exactly it doesn't have to be all things for all people yeah carl throws up that's the other thing about the uh the the brain scene and then uh they they get the brain into the t-rex the t-rex michael uh sees his own corpse and and they the like like bobby and carl are like closing up and gunter and helga leave and so bobby is kind of taunting the t-rex michael as he's as he's again you know the thing with the t-rex seeing his own body like that's cool and then he bites bobby's head off <laughs> yeah and like kind of like rips out part of his spine with it too i think that's my favorite gore moment in this movie is is yeah. bobby getting his head ripped off it's really good the other gore moment that i really like that comes a little later is when the t-rex like gives i don't know if it's billy or weasel like one of one of billy's hands or whatever but gives him like one swipe of the claw and his intestines fall out <laughs> yeah yeah it's really good uh, again some some great gore moments in this but yeah billy gets his head ripped ripped off uh or, or bobby, bobby sorry yeah. and yeah. then um he you know the t-rex sort of goes on the loose uh the t-rex uh he, he crushes carl outside and then yeah he uh scares off a pizza boy uh and i i just wanted to point out that pizza boy because the pizza boy is played by efren ramirez who plays pedro in napoleon dynamite that's right <laughs> uh, this is like a very young pedro and i remember i i think it took until like my third time seeing it to be like is that is that pedro <laughs> <laughs> um i wrote in my notes pedro for pizza boy which i thought was very funny yeah um yeah yeah, he crushes it. <laughs> Incredible. Like, yeah, like truly like a 30 second bit. Nothing bad even happens to him. He just gets scared off by this T-Rex. <laughs> He's like roaring at him. But like, God, he he steals the show. I love this guy. Exactly. So yeah, and the T-Rex uh, crushes Carl and we get some, some great green screen effects of it approaching this woman. <laughs> this woman's on the phone and then like there's there's like the, that reveal at the end where she's talking to her bookie. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. And and Michael, you know, Michael's in line for the phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And then, yeah, he's, he's waiting on that call. He, uh, <laughs> he uses his T-Rex hands to call Tammy on the payphone. <laughs> but he can't say anything because he's got a little T-Rex voice. Exactly. I love that, like, 
there's so many I, I feel like when you do t-rex gags in media there's so many things about how like their arms are useless or whatever or anything where it's like a, a person gets put into some kind of animal or machine but he successfully you know he puts the coin in he dials <laughs> successfully gets Tammy's he does number. so good for someone who just woke up with a t-rex body yeah has never oh. used those hands for anything before <laughs> Yeah. I do love I do love the puppets in this I do love there's like a little like t-rex hand glove that they <laughs> use there's like a little foot on a stick or whatever that they use sometimes I think there's also like a maybe like a head puppet that they use at times it's all great it's, it's good all stuff great. and yeah Tammy's not home so uh he's, he's just sort of you know making robot dinosaur sounds <laughs> into the phone yeah uh, uh, and then I, uh, some people come out of the bar uh, mm. and get scared off by him. I wrote down that the guy who comes out of the bar looks like a knockoff Matt LeBlanc. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The next scene is uh, the party. Um, I don't think it's clear whose party it is. <laughs> it's not clear whose party it is. Um, I do love that... Uh, uh tammy's boyfriend just died but she's good to party she's <laughs> like, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure she's kind of sad but she still came <laughs> exactly she and she, you know like i said she dressed to the nines when she went to the hospital and went and then you know he died and she's like well i could go to a party you know i it's yeah, time i got over never, it <laughs> yeah she is not one to let her social life lag just for like a, a silly little reason like her boyfriend dying <laughs> Yeah, we get the the guy in the helmet and the leather vest who's trying to dance with the the lesbians from Billy's gang. Fun little moment to kick us off. Um, I loved the the like Jurassic Park moment where um, at the bar, like <laughs> like like Byron's at the bar. And there's and, and there's this great you know flirty interaction that he has with the bartender with a lesbian <laughs> with with a lesbian and then the bartender is like yes. to both of them don't worry girls caveman Ken is here to take care of you <laughs> Byron's so precious we must protect Byron at all costs absolutely but there's also this great Jurassic Park moment in that scene where all the drinks at the bar start shaking <laughs> as the dinosaur approaches. Because this movie was just, you know, it's it's very clear that, and I think it was always very clear to Stuart Raffle that this producer who approached him with this dinosaur and all this money was like, I just kind of want something like Jurassic Park. Exactly, and he and he gave him that little <laughs> that little moment. He gave him one moment, and then the rest of it is this. I'm yeah. honestly curious about the like the theatrical cut of this movie at this point. I I've never seen it. I don't know if it's available streaming, but. Yeah, so if you if you get the uh, deluxe uh, HD and Blu-ray DVD version, um, it is like a special feature. Oh. Uh, you you can watch the PG thirteen cut. I haven't seen it yet, but I'll maybe I'll watch it and, and like DM you and tell you how it is. <laughs> but I'm sure it's just like I'm sure it's worse because the good parts of this movie are the gory parts. You know. Yeah, I I, I like don't even know <laughs> what it would be, but uh, yeah. yeah. It's just a sweet little love story between a girl and a robot. Exactly. So, yeah, Michael cuts Weasel's entire intestines out with one swipe of his claw. And Weasel is a character who <laughs> we haven't really touched on. He's sort of the right-hand man in, in Billy's gang. This uh, this classic, like every 90s movie has this character with like the spiked up hair who's kind of <laughs> yeah. kind of a slacker, you know. Yeah, he's like he's like got the personality of like any character Matthew Lillard has ever played. Exactly. <laughs> Would love to see Lillard in that role. Um God. 
Yeah, I, I read in my notes, like, it's horror, finally, as, as Weasel's intestines get ripped out, because I, I, I kind of, and I know that, you know, we had the henchmen get killed in the previous scene, but this feels like kind of like the first kill scene in a horror movie. It's very fun. Yeah, and then there's also the, um, Billy is having sex with a girl in the car, and the dinosaur, yes. like, picks her up and, I guess, eats her. It kind of happens. Yeah. yeah. And then, like... I got this. I got this sensation in this scene though, because everyone's because everyone's like, "Whoa, what is that? Like, do they not know what a T Rex is?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's obviously supposed to come across as like, "Why is there a T Rex here?" But the idea that everyone is like, "What?" instead of just being like, "I am going to run in the opposite direction." <laughs> uh. Some kind of thing. <laughs> And then, yeah, uh, he bites Billy's head off. We <laughs> are... Justice. Justice for Michael, finally. Yeah, our uh, our introductory villain just just, just gets his He's head dead right at the end off. of the first act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like... that's a, Listen, that's efficient screenwriting. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. We got to focus on, on Gunter and we got to focus on the love story, obviously. I like the part where, where, like you were talking about, the little T-Rex foot comes out and trips people <laughs> yeah. trying to run away. And his, and then uh, uh, skipping ahead just a few seconds, uh, Byron shows back up and, and we think maybe Michael's going to hurt Byron, but Michael just with the little puppet hands just dusts off his jacket. <laughs> that was so great. And I was really hoping for a moment like that because I was like, because it's interesting that like nothing has changed about Michael, right? <laughs> like, like he's, yeah. you know, has all his memories and, and, you know, same personality and everything, but he's just like, I have this body. Now I want to kill people. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, right? Is like the, uh, and, and, and not to, not to bring this movie up, but I watched Ghost Rider the other night okay. for the first time. Uh, and, and I was very struck by like, oh, in Ghost Rider, the first time he like turns into the Ghost Rider, it's just another personality because he's like being possessed by a fire demon or whatever. Right. Uh, in this movie, it's always very clear that it's just Michael in there, but he seems fine with like ripping people's heads off and eating them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... I, I, I guess he, he yeah. can't talk, so we don't really know, but he keeps doing it. And like, and, and it, it's another like interesting thing that if there was more time to be put into this movie, they could explore that, like, what kind of guy was, because Michael's like this perfect guy as we see him for the first, you know, yeah. 10 minutes of this movie. And then he turns into a T-Rex, immediately starts killing people. And the first time when it's Bobby and he's like just seeing his corpse over here, it's like, okay, that makes sense. And then he just goes out and crushes a guy <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. He goes out, you know, and, and I, I could even understand him killing Billy because Billy left him for dead, but just like killing Billy's entire cohort is like, maybe, maybe it's not healthy for you to have a robot body right now, Michael. Yeah. Even when <laughs> he's, you need to process. Even when he's like tripping people and it's like, what are you doing that for? <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. It's awesome. It's kind of being it's a menace. Great. Yeah. Uh, but then we, we, we introduce the cop subplot, which is like the most unnecessary cop subplot in yeah. the history of unnecessary cops. We get the two cops from earlier. And I don't remember their names, but they they have like kind of the same name. They're uh, Neville and Norval. And then we also get the sheriff, Sheriff Black, who is uh, Byron's father. There's a weird 
a very weird interaction just with just with Neville and Norval, where there's the the woman from the bar is the first person they talk to, and she's talking about a T Rex, and Neville and Norval have this dialogue about how they want to slap her. Yes, I I I did not pull that out in my notes, um, but I do, I do remember this exchange, and it's wild. It's like this woman is traumatized. <laughs> Um, but we're just gonna like do a cop thing. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah, and you know, the I feel like the at the very least the it's a weird interaction, but the filmmakers are definitely on the same page about these guys as we are. You know, <laughs> like we we all yeah. we all know what's up with them. But um, yeah, I mean the cop interactions continue to be strange. I mean when 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 Chief Black shows up. Uh, one of the first things he says is like, "Go find some clues," which I find is such a, a fun <laughs> go direction. Find some clues. <laughs> go find some clues, okay? Yeah, <laughs> go get your little magnifying glass out. And the cops make some kind of homophobic joke about uh, Byron. I don't remember what that was either, but it definitely, again, you know the way the way that this movie deals with the cops. Just you know, it it feels like they, even to the extent that you know people talk about. Um, the way that homophobia appears in this movie and I read reviews where people are talking about like some of it it's like if they were making that today they probably wouldn't do that but I feel like it always comes out of the cop characters and it's like it totally makes sense that that they would be acting that way like everything else about them lines up yeah I feel like the character of Byron himself I mean he he is acting out a stereotype but I don't think that stereotype is ever the, like the butt of the joke yeah like I, I always feel like Byron is the most likable character in the room Every time I bring up Byron in my notes, it's just like there's a little heart next to his name and that's like the whole note, you know? He's great. He's great the entire time. Um, there's a very cool uh, guy who was like stepped on and flattened yeah. uh, in this sequence, which is a great <laughs> little piece of gore. It's just like a flat Stanley body. Yeah, and then um, Byron has this interaction with his dad about how it was a dinosaur and like, you know sort of ends on an unresolved note where it's like he he doesn't not believe him but it's it's like you know the, 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 this little interaction that they have i don't know and then we get to the next yeah. scene where we we see the t-rex and tammy uh together they <laughs> we we get that great payoff and it was something that i was like like, like itching for the whole time where he takes the bite out of the flower to show to tammy that it's him but then she doesn't get it <laughs> yeah does he does kidnap her from her bedroom which it's is true. very fun it's true. um and brings her to like a barn somewhere and he's like no i might yeah i love that um she they play this like game of charades right where he yeah he's biting the flower and then he like points to his brain and that's another moment where i'm like she couldn't guess brain from the dinosaur <laughs> pointing to his head but she could get rain from him doing little jazz <laughs> yeah. fingers and then be like it rhymes with rain oh brain <laughs> she's like the worst at charades yeah. Everybody, nobody wants to invite her to their parties yeah that bar that barn is also like very conveniently located because she she like runs back home in the next scene <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but yeah she she realizes that it's michael in that body and she's like oh michael what have they done to you yeah uh, she, she's acting her little heart out it's it's beautiful absolutely the cops arrive at uh at tammy's house and they see the the damage that the t-rex caused uh and then the parents too whatever and what the, the cop says it was a dinosaur tammy who has has just come back says i thought it was just a meteor or something <laughs> 
You know how a meteor uh, hits the town and pulls a guy's head off his body? (laughs) (laughs) And like the uh, Gunter also (laughs) shows up. Gunter's like Gunter shows up. Yeah. Yeah, Gunter shows up, and and of course Helga is there, uh, being sexy because that's her job in this movie. Uh, and he's like, Gunter's like, oh, like looking at Tammy from across the lawn is like, oh, she's already been with the dinosaur. You can tell from the way she's walking. Yeah. <laughs> so like, she canonically did fuck this robot in some manner, and I'm sure that was cut from the PG thirteen version. But it's it's the best piece of world building in this fucking movie. <laughs> she had, does the. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you think about Gunter's plan, it would make sense to make the animatronic capable of having sex. Yeah, I mean, if if you're gonna put a brain in there, you got to give it something to do. <laughs> exactly, and like and like he would know too. Like, like like he's not coming to that completely blind. Like he knows that that's a possibility, and he, and he's stating it yeah. as a fact. I was also I was thinking about like possibilities for like maybe the robot just like fingered her <laughs> with <laughs> those big little hands, puppet yeah. hands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that could have sex all kind of ways. It's true, even a dinosaur. He also, another great Gunter line from that scene is, if you want to catch a fish, you go where the bait is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is not how fishing works at all. Yeah. It's so good. I love, Gunter genuinely has the best, wildest lines throughout this movie. It, it kind of feels like he was just sort of improvising half the time. It was just like a guy that Stuart Raffle maybe knew. Yeah. Well, he's, um. let me see. He's like, Terry Kaiser, right? He, uh, yeah. And yeah, he, I didn't look up any of these people in advance, so if I'm, I'm just like bullshitting out of my ass. He was uh, Bernie in Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, wild! <laughs> yeah, and he was That's also so in. See, see, he was also he he played another character named Gunter in Mannequin Two, another Stuart Raffle movie. <laughs> Yeah, a Stuart Raffle guy. Just a guy that he's like, do you want to do this for a couple of weeks? He's like, yeah. Yeah, they definitely, like, they made that character for Mannequin 2 and had so much fun with it that when they were writing Cambion T-Rex, they were like, let's let's just do this guy again. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the Stuart Raffle cinematic universe. Yeah, his, his character in Mannequin 2 is named Count Gunther Spratzel, and he's a sorcerer. <laughs> <laughs> sorcerer, neurosurgeon, it's all the same. Exactly. And, you know, science and magic. Um, So then we go to the funeral. The funeral, yeah. (laughs) Another great scene. Denise Richards' outfit in this sequence. She is is at her boyfriend's funeral. And I (laughs) I know that she's just, like, pretending to be sad because she knows that Michael's brain is alive. But, like, it's her boyfriend's funeral. And she's wearing, like, a velvet, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer-ass, like, red velvet high-low dress (laughs) with crosses on the rope belt. It's it's delightful and a great hat. <laughs> <laughs> really good. I I think the idea behind doing the funeral scene, it, it, it's another one of the. This was the moment where I wrote in my notes that like there are a lot of really good ideas in this movie, and I started to get into this idea of like if you could remake it with a more advanced dinosaur, like there's there's so just <laughs> there's so many great moments 
like like the funeral. It's funny how when the dinosaur shows up to the party and they're doing the Jurassic Park thing, it's like, you know, the, the drinks are all shaking or whatever. He sneaks up on a funeral. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like there's a shot where so he's like Tom Sawyering at his own funeral and there's a shot where Tammy like looks across the way and can clearly like they lock eyes but no one else at this funeral has noticed. <laughs> Nobody has noticed. They they get through the whole thing without anyone noticing. Um Uncle Bob <laughs> Uncle Bob gives a speech. Uncle Bob says everybody knows I'm just a drunk and that the dinosaur nods. <laughs> The dinosaur nods and the crowd like chuckles. There's like chuckling laugh track at that line at this boy's funeral who clearly like was not being well taken care of by his uncle, by his own admission. It's bizarre. I love it. It's pretty good how at the end of Uncle Bob's speech, the the priest like literally pushes him over (laughs) and he like tips over to the side. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the priest. I love Uncle Bob. I, I, I'm just a fan yeah. of him. I'm also, did you notice the dinosaur tears? Did you notice the, the T-Rex crying during the funeral scene? I didn't. They have like like huge glycerin tears falling off of this T-Rex's face during Bob's speech. <laughs> It's, it's, it's like, it's wild. Like, I have so many questions about where, like, biology begins and ends inside this robot, um, especially with the tranquilizer later. But, yeah, he cries. The dinosaur cries in this. The dinosaur cries, I guess, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's, like, windshield fluid or something. <laughs> yeah, they put some spritz hooks in there. They're like, because... <laughs> Because there is a brain in there, and the brain is like in juice or whatever. I think from the way that from the way that they set it up. So maybe they they have some kind of system for it to be able to. You gotta think though. They sort of worked around it in interesting ways, just by having the plot line be Gunter wants to allow people to live forever in these robot bodies. So like anything that the robot body can do could be just part of how Gunter designed it. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that's smart. Maybe this movie's secretly genius, like The Room is. Every time I watch The Room, I'm like, this is secretly just a work, a masterpiece work of genius. Yeah. So then we get Helga eating strawberries in her leopard print funeral number as she yes. and Gunther are staking it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just she like... has to be sexy at all times. Uh, this is also when we get the explanation that Gunther wants everybody to live in robots forever, which is uh, very trans of him. Yeah, it doesn't really... It doesn't really track for me, like, why they're staking out the funeral. <laughs> like, like he's, like, he has this line when Tammy, like, goes into the grave where he's, like, it's a burden being right about anything, everything. And I guess he's talking about, like, he suspected that Tammy would go, like, dig up the body. I don't know. It yeah, just well, doesn't quite come together. He's going where the bait is, right? Like, I, I think his idea is if I follow Tammy for long enough she will lead me to the robot because right. his goal right now is to find the robot again right and then i guess i guess he does succeed in that regard um <laughs> he succeeds just kind of by like walking up to tammy and holding a knife to her neck very leisurely <laughs> yeah we get uh worms and rats have already entered michael's coffin just as <laughs> he hasn't even been buried yet and the rats are already there yet. yeah um, the the body has already decomposed. <laughs> it's really good, but that means that we can't put him back in his body. Oh no! Oh fuck! 
Oh no, what do we do now? Uh, <laughs> they go, well, I'll tell you what they do. They go to the morgue and they... <laughs> they go to the morgue. I did write that Tammy is so fucking horny for this robot because right before they go to the morgue, she's like kissing his nose and being like, I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> In like a really over the top way. I'm like, wow, you, that robot was really good at fucking you, huh? It's true. Well, it's Michael, you know, she, you know, he, he has this, uh, this transformation and she's, you know, with him every step of the way. Yeah, support an ally. Exactly. Exactly. So they go to the morgue. They go to the morgue. We get this great fucking fashion montage of them like holding up all the bodies for the T Rex. (laughs) We get a makeover scene. Um, Byron points out a body of a girl, and uh, Tammy is like, I don't want a girl. But when they hold the girl up to the window for Michael to see, he's like, Maybe, maybe I'll be a girl. And that's fun. So good. Uh, <laughs> we also get a moment where they look at a at a dead guy's dick, and it's like too big for Tammy. <laughs> and Byron is like, "This guy's perfect," and she's like, "Not for me," because she wants a T boy. She wants a little dick. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My my notes are always out of out out of step here, but somehow we get to the. Is it the barn? Where the where this final confrontation takes place, the same barn. Yeah. So what happens is, uh, they like the I I I also lose track of this a little bit because they have Gunther and Helga like captive in the truck where they're transporting this dinosaur, and then somehow they get out of the truck. Uh, Gunther does tell Helga to quote chew my rope, uh, which is <laughs> great. Um, and then they do a chase scene and. Uh, she like rides away triumphantly on the dinosaur as the cops just kind of watch. Uh, and then we cut to later uh, where they're like in hiding in the same barn where they were earlier. And Byron is like meeting up with them and being very obviously followed by the cops and doesn't seem to realize it, which like good for him. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the cop uh, radio the sheriff and um, they, they, they almost call Byron the F word. They're like, they're like your your son is <laughs> yes i caught that too i think i think it's just that that actor playing that cop was like flubbing his lines a lot because he flubbed his lines a lot in that take and i think it's just like we'll take what we get um but yeah i wrote down in my notes i was like did that cop almost just call him a fag i think maybe like, like again if you think about the character of these cops and the jokes they were making earlier like i i, I think that could have been the idea and yeah yeah that's how it is uh yeah, um, I, I, I do want to say during that car chase, um, Byron's dad tells the other cops to handcuff his son, which is fucking wild. Um, I don't I don't know if we have necessarily anything like specific to say about that. <laughs> Just like that's a moment that happens and makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah, the whole the, the whole father son relationship there is a little a, a little uh, strained throughout the movie. Yeah. yeah. But we get the confrontation where the cops and Byron and the doctor are all there. The, the cop has a, one of the cops has a great line where he says, it's that crazy doctor and that lanky bitch again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed that. Um, but I did catch, uh, 
Oh, one second. Um, so yeah, the doctor comes in with like a tranquilizer gun, mm-hmm. uh, and the cops are like, "Wait, it's a rope?" Or, or I guess uh, Tammy and Byron are like, "It's a robot. How would a tranquilizer work on a robot?" Because he's lying about it being a human brain. Um, there's a line that Gunther has about uh, they don't make small tranquilizer guns. <laughs> he's like yeah. reassuring them, like it's just it's this huge fucking rifle. He's like, they just don't make small ones. Yeah, in this. this- <laughs> I had that it's and just I, the one size. And I also had the story that he made up about how the tranquilizer works and, he, and with like the living crystals that he, that he uses and how specifically he wanted to use them to quote put America back on top which to put like, America back on top. Yes. <laughs> the cops go right along with it. <laughs> yeah, cuz they they like shrug to themselves they're like, "Yeah, sounds good to me." All right. The sheriff the, the sheriff as Byron is being like that's Michael, like, <laughs> like, like, don't let him do it. He he tells this story about the living crystals and putting America back on top. And the sheriff sort of looks around and he's like, all right, go ahead. <laughs> like, he's made some I guess great this decision. checks out, yeah. Like, he doesn't have to let him tranquilize the robot. <laughs> yeah. And then um, Michael eats Gunter. <laughs> and the cops open very extended fire on him. and then it's yeah it's it's like michael apparently dies like the dinosaur body dies essentially as denise richards is like screaming and crying over him uh and then we cut to the last scene which is a complete tonal 180 from what we have just seen i don't remember if it's three months later or six months later but uh, several months later and um tammy is (laughs) is in high spirits uh, she has successfully transferred Michael's brain into a computer. <laughs> yes, and and like a camera and speakers set up, which her parents like are know about and are on board with, kind of. Yeah, they they don't like it, but they're going with it. <laughs> yeah, but he his brain in a bowl lives in her room now. <laughs> yep, and they have they they have cyber sex. The sparks fly literally. <laughs> Yeah, she she does an extended strip tease, which I I feel so bad for Denise Richards. I I just I feel for her having yeah. to do that. Scene. Ima- I'm yeah, sure she imagine was so like imagine the just the direction of having to do that. Like it it definitely sucks. But um, yeah, I do like the idea of like as the brain gets horny, like it starts shooting off sparks and stuff. Like that's fun. Yeah. I like that she gave she gave it like whiskey or something she like poured some sort of dark liquor into the bowl with the brain and he's like canonically a teenager <laughs> but her parents are like i guess your boyfriend's been through a hard time we can give him a bottle of whiskey <laughs> exactly he died twice we can, we can give yeah. him a little something yeah and the movie ends with him coming yeah so so it ends with michael uh Coming to the extent that he can, I guess. And then, and then his last line, as we sort of cut to black, is you got to get me a body. I can't take any more of this. Yeah. So the, the movie ends with him just being so horny. <laughs> Which I guess is like the thesis, right? Is like, it's yeah. the, the thesis of this movie is just like, bitches be horny. <laughs> it's if you think about the hero's journey for Michael, he starts the movie horny and then he goes on this long journey and he comes back horny, but different. <laughs> yeah, he comes back horny, but changed. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what Joseph Campbell was really looking for uh, when he wrote Hero with a Thousand Faces was uh, this. Exactly. 
Uh, a great film. A really fun and funny and, again, some really strong ideas in here. I really do think that a remake of this movie would be good. Like, I'm never I'm never the person to be like, oh, just remake something. You know, you, you, you know I, I see the cheapness of a remake generally. But when you get something like this, that was so shafted by the by its release that like you know was had was like cut to shit and didn't get any kind of theatrical run and you know came and went and then has developed such a following since then and has all these great ideas in it that they couldn't really execute because they were making it in like a month remake this yeah remake I, I have a, a, a fun question for you is like, who would you cast? In yes. This? Oh my God. I need to like, I need to like run through the cast here. First of all, you got um, Tammy. You, you got to start with a good Tammy. Yeah. And um, I'm thinking about who's, who, who's like young and who could maybe like. Yeah. Who's like have... not big enough yet that she could do Tammy. Yeah, maybe like a like a Sadie Sink or something. I'm trying to like think about yeah. who. Yeah, what's be. like? The, I'm trying to think of like the most cursed Tammy I could possibly think of, and I'm like Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse <laughs> Ronan as Tammy. Tammy. <laughs> this is our, our prestige take on this. It's Saoirse Ronan as Tammy. Uh, you gotta get a good Byron. Yeah. You gotta get a you gotta get a strong Byron who's like. Lil Nas X is Byron. <laughs> That's the Lil key. Nas X is here's the thing is like Lil Nas X would chew it up as Byron. Lil Nas X has enough of like a camp sensibility that I think he would genuinely be very good in that role. Yeah, I think the key to this whole thing is Lil Nas X is Byron. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's well, the root. Yeah, Byron is the best part of this of this thing. Uh uh who would you get as as new Paul Walker? New Paul Walker is a good one. Because again, you gotta get someone pretty fucking young. Because a lot of the, because a lot of the young guys now they play even younger. You know, it's like a Finn Wolfhard or the, you know, any of the Stranger yeah. Things kids. Or like, I could see, I, I could see KJ Apa. I think KJ Apa would be fun in a lot of ways, and you know, he's obviously in this lane already. Like he could, yeah. He, I mean, he's he's super not <laughs> seventeen, but like no, but I, I think that's fine. I I think I think the the key to a good Michael is just like charming and dumb. And I think KJ Apa plays charming and dumb really, really well. It's true. It's true. I wonder if I almost want to get an get, get an unknown for for the Michael role, but like, but like cast a trans dude. Yes. Oh yes. Obviously, the the most perfect version of this movie is like Gunther, Helga, Michael, and Tammy are all trans. Absolutely, and it can be done. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Gunter, I feel like there's so many ways to go with the casting for that too. There's like an older actor who can do Mad Scientist. You could go for Jim Carrey. Is Jim Carrey horny enough? I think he can be. I think Jim Carrey as Robotnik is exactly as horny as Gunther in Jimmy right. the Tears. You're so right, and I'm scared of that. Oh, I'm so I'm so excited for the second Sonic movie. I love the Absolutely. first one. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, there, there, there's obviously a lot of ways to go with casting it, but like, it's a, it's a fun movie. Yeah. It's, it's a fun movie that was sort of shafted by its production in a lot of ways. And I think it still manages to do a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. And it feels, it's still a movie. It's, it's in my brain. It is an all time 
cult B movie, but it still feels underground enough that when you discover it, you're like, oh, this is like a special little thing. Yeah, definitely. And its star is rising, definitely, in the past yeah. in the past like year or so. But it's <laughs> there's such a you know, it, 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 there is kind of a cult thing about it. Another thing I learned real quick is that uh, Weasel, mm -hmm. the actor who played Weasel, is uh, Sean Whalen, who was the history buff in the first Got Milk commercial, the one that um, it was oh, directed yeah. by. It was directed by Michael Bay, and he's the he's the guy who there's this radio thing where there's there you know the answer to the question is Aaron Burr, and he's trying to you know get the answer down, but he doesn't have his milk and he can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. I'm glad that all these people, like most of these people, had other careers, you know? Like, it's always fun to see a movie that's just like sort of the start of a lot of people's stuff. Absolutely. Cody, Rocky. thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Pulp Friction. Is there anything that you would like to plug before we sign off? Um. Oh boy, what do I want to plug? Uh, I mean, follow me on the socials. Uh, my at is Rucody. That's R U E C O D E Y because I love to confuse people with spellings. Mm. Um, <laughs> I have a short film about trans people in the zombie apocalypse called Chrysalis that is uh, going to be finished this winter. It'll come out sometime next year, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, that's basically it. Uh, uh, thank you so much for having me. I had a delightful time. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. You've been honestly such a great guest and you're welcome back any fucking time. What was the thing that you were saying earlier that, that we could talk about? It was, um... Was it, was it, uh, was it River? I mean, the other thing that I, like, suggested when we first started talking about this is, like, I love bad movies and I love Riverdale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Riverdale's another thing like Homestuck where I feel like there's, like, five people who want to talk about Riverdale, but we could definitely do that. I feel like there was something where it was, like, it was, like, the works of some... Oh, oh, Diablo Cody. Diablo Cody, yeah. Yes. I would love to do a Diablo Cody episode. If you ever want to talk about, yeah, like Juno, Jennifer's body, Tully. Uh, oh, God help me. We could talk about young adult, but young adult is not good. <laughs> we we could talk about young adult. I would love to talk about Tully, honestly. Tully is something that's perfect for this show because no one ever talks about it. No one ever talks about it. And it is the perfect spiritual sequel to Juno and I'll die on that hill. Sure. It's funny because everyone talks about it as a sequel to Young Adult, but I do think there's a ton of Juno in it. Yeah. Well, there's a ton of Juno in Young Adult. It, Young Adult is an attempt at a spiritual sequel to Juno, but I think I think the the problem with it, it, it is it leans too into the Jason Bateman character. Because Young Adult is like uh -huh. about the Jason Bateman character, but in the body of Charlize Theron. And I feel like right. Tully follows the themes of like, motherhood and pregnancy in a way that is sort of more advanced in the timeline of a human than Juno was, right? It's like what happens when this stuff happens to somebody who's like 20 years older. Um, Absolutely. Sorry, that's like me getting way too into my Tolly thoughts right now. Yeah, let's save that for the next episode. Uh, thank, thank you to everyone at home for listening and we'll, I'll see you next week. Thank you.